Somebody told me they gained 15 in quarantine, and I was like, yo, it ain't been going that long. That's <laughs> you cannot blame that on quarantine. Fifteen quarantine. That's not quarantine. That's wild. Usually take nine months. We're talking three weeks. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you know, we do these awkward beginnings. That's that's our MO. Uh, are we live? We, we are we are definitely we're live. live. You know, we were just gonna wait for you to figure you know to notice. It's all good. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. We out here. Uh we pre- appreciate everybody tuning in. Um glad you're with us. This is episode four, I believe. And you probably noticed that we have a Somewhat of a name for the podcast now, Affirmative Interaction. We were throwing a couple of different things around. I don't know that all of them are, would be cleared for, for live publication. <laughs> I could list some of uh, my... Uh... I mean, hey, I mean, I guess if you want to do that, you know, on your own time, that's fine. Save but, it for uh, the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, Affirmative Interaction, we felt like it was catchy. I don't have, like, a whole, like, spiel or a Malcolm Gladwell intro on to why Loki kind of felt like it's to kind of be reverse affirmative action. We all black except for Logan. So a little spin on that. No, I'm just playing. But um I am not black. Yeah, we know. So uh yeah. But we thought we thought it was catchy and so we hope you all like it. Maybe drop some some comments on that and, and let us know how I was doing. But before we jump into the first topic, you know, we just do kind of the general, how y'all doing, man? how y'all feeling? It doesn't have to be COVID specific. I know we've kind of, you know, done that all different angles, but, but, but how y'all doing? Good. Good, man. I cut my hair actually last week. <laughs> oh, I cut my, I, flex, bro. I, cut, I cut my own joint, so I'm feeling yeah. good right now. I'm feeling like a human being. True. It looked bad before. I was not ready for how bad that looked, but it looks great. Shout now. out to, shout out to Kev the barber though. The barber stayed yeah, for walking black through. Hair this, Four yo, hours. This dude, this dude was on. Yeah, exactly. This dude was on Instagram Live with me for four hours, walking through how to cut my hair, and it was time well well spent, in my opinion. Man, that's I half the work day. I got to give a plug to Kevin, man. He he came in as a freshman and literally within like a year and a half, he, he had to have had like hundreds of cuts every week, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm screaming. I'm screaming. I'm screaming. No, he, he trusts himself. Oh, man. One of my favorites. Just look at the intensity, bro. <laughs> Yo, your boy was mid haircut and he was drawing on some paper like dog. What? <laughs> That's Yo, what you I want me so, to follow? I was so nervous, bro. I was so nervous. <laughs> my man was drawing diagrams and stuff. I was like, oh no. What are we the, doing? Uh, it was interesting watching the, the comments because barbers were confident that you were gonna be fine. But yeah. like the average Joe was like, no, nah, his life is over. This guy better just like let him buzz it all <laughs> off. And so I, I talked to Kevin. He was like, I was confident all the time. I was like, yeah, it's not like hard. It's hard, but it like once you get it, you can do it. It's doable. It's a haircut. But it was funny to watch the comments kind of scroll through that. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of love in the comments. That was fun. 
But uh, that, that is after the four or five hour saga, you see the smile <laughs> on the screen. You know, it was, yeah, it was good. Good time, really Nick. Nick, have you, Nick, have you found a, a found someone to cut? Are you going to do that self cut, bro? Bro, it's it's critical under here, man. I know. I, I'm doing <laughs> this thing just like me, bro. Boil it like Django. Not gonna do that. Shout out to Mark. He's saying the fade's still holding up. I, I, mean, yeah. I can't lie. I can't lie. Yo, look at your boy. <laughs> look at your boy. The fade is looking right. Yo, crazy. Yo. Crazy. <laughs> crazy. It's like standard definition, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Shout out to Mark and Barriotti. That's the homie for real, for real. Facts, I do facts. not know that person. He's <laughs> no, man. He's a good. He's a Get good. No, he's that sure. guy. He's that guy. Yeah. Uh, well, again, welcome everybody, and uh, we're gonna dive into a couple of different topics today. Uh, we got a few for you. We're gonna be with you for about an hour, and so I, I think you're getting this kicked off, G. We're gonna go into these quarantine protests. So why don't you set the table for us on this one? So, so as you know, I mean, you're if you're in America, you're experiencing it. If you're in most parts of the world, you're experiencing. We've been in quarantine. Most people are are trying to work from home if you can. So that's what we're doing. Like that's 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 the government mandate is that it, you should not be in groups of of ten or more. You know, CDC has its guidelines, and, and now um, there are individuals who are anti quarantine and are organizing protests to protest the quarantine and therefore breaking the quarantine intentionally uh, in Michigan and what's it, Wisconsin and other places, they are literally blocking traffic for <laughs> medical professionals in order to, to protest a medical emergency. And, and 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 before you ask, yes, it's white people. White people are the ones doing this. Even though, even though it's these very same white people who are likely who have issue with Black Lives Matter, who have issue mm -hmm. with the protests led by Colin Kaepernick. It is these white same white people who are leading these anti-quarantine protests. And the last thing I'll say before I allow the rest of the group to type it <laughs> because I'm actually incensed like I am I'm livid about this it, is these people are getting the majority of their information from Fox News. I'm going to say this here hopefully at the beginning we have a lot of viewers. Fox News is not real news. <laughs> if you watch Fox News, you are literally playing yourself. Like you are getting disinformation period. Dr. Yeah. Phil is not a real doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and he Let's is a go. contributor. So, all right, that's all. That's the, that's the kick it off. That's uh, it. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Oh, man. Logan, any any thoughts on the half of white people? <laughs> yeah. So any, any rebuttal? Not all white people, you know, that's the <laughs> common narrative there. Um, definitely some true points to that. I think Missouri um, held theirs today. Uh, it, about 30, 45 minutes from my house in the state capitol. Kind of hilarious. Um, I, I live in Berkeley. Typically, I'm in Missouri right now. The last yeah. protest I went to was an Ann Coulter protest, where ironically, every person that showed up with a mask on was escorted out 
in handcuffs because they believe them to be so dangerous. And now we have these people that are protesting masks, wearing masks, thinking COVID-19 is not real while they're scared to just a whole, whole mess, kind of ridiculous, um, disappointing. Because I've, I've listened to podcasts. I did not find a good source of information, but I heard three podcasts this week talk about how um, how these protests were being paid for, how they were being supported by certain right-wing groups trying to get people to push this narrative. Luckily, all the protests oh are pretty gosh. small. But, like, that's – I just don't understand – um, what they're doing, I guess there's, I mean, Trump tweeted this week, liberate these states, liberate Michigan, liberate Virginia, protect your two-way rights, um, which is kind of uh, interesting and scary. So it, it's being supported by Donald Trump, which um, I pretty much don't support anything Donald Trump supports. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that out loud or not, but that's kind of where, where I find myself sitting most days uh, because he doesn't exist in logic. But I realize one thing. That Trump supporters, uh, Trump supporters are different than Trump voters. I will, I will say that out loud. But people that are uh, big time supporters of Donald Trump, they believe in allegiance more than they believe in information. And so, even if you mm. tell them that they're wrong, they will not yeah, believe yeah. they're wrong unless their allegiant uh, leader tells them, "Ah, you shouldn't do this. This is a bad idea," um, because they don't care if they're right or wrong. They care if they're they're faithful and if they're loyal. Um, and I think we're going to hear about loyalty a little bit throughout the show, but maybe that's a little bit of my thoughts. Uh, um, I d- okay. Oh, the you smart, know. the smart side. We know something. <laughs> <laughs> the very smart side. Yes, sir. Yo, when I saw this, the first thing I thought was, "This is dumb." <laughs> <laughs> this is very dumb. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's really stupid. I feel like it's just. It's almost. I, I, I mean, what is there? This <laughs> no words. <laughs> I have no words. I have no takes because it's just you're. Oh, we're dude. trying to get better. We're trying to get back to normal as soon as possible. I mean, uh, obviously, despite the lives lost, which is terrible and it's awful. And to these protesters, if someone that you know hasn't been affected, someone that hasn't been passed away that hasn't passed away because of COVID-19. I can understand why you're not like getting it, why there's a disconnect. But you're shooting yourself in the foot if you want to go back to work. If you want to go back to work. <laughs> but but that's, their, that's their constitutional right to shoot themselves in the foot if they want to. <laughs> why wouldn't they go get a job in a hospital if they want to work so bad or in a grocery store or somewhere oh essential to say like, Let's let's actually end this. Instead, they're just like, ah, we'll just um, we'll protest. That'll help. So, <laughs> so Nick, I'm glad that you put this picture up. It, it, it's yeah. a picture. It's a screen cap, literally from one of the protests where someone on the front line. I mean, you know, when you're when you're at a front line, you know, your your front line signs. Those are the people with the messaging. You know what I mean? Like they have to have the message unlocked. This person. His sign, I don't even know if it's ever going to go up, if, if you have the opportunity to put it up. But this man's sign says, who cut Andy's hair? Is, <laughs> that's the messaging. That's it. Who cuts who Andy's Andy? hair? Who is who Andy? Andy? Is First Andy? off, who's Andy? Who is yeah, Andy? Nobody knows. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I know a Andy lot of Andy. Andy is a metaphor, y'all. It's a metaphor <laughs> for the <laughs> white economy. <laughs> 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 
Karen oh, Andy is the male Karen. So stupid. <laughs> oh, oh god. god. It's really concerning. Yeah, Go ahead. This yeah, I was gonna say like Garrison, what you were saying earlier about like how destructive Fox News has not just been uh uh during the last couple of weeks with the protests, but the last few months of every misinformation, every downplaying, every every lack of acknowledging the significance of this virus. Like we we have all seen the videos showing the timeline from January literally all the way up until now to see how the narrative has kind of changed from mm -hmm. uh, this is a hoax to this is not a big deal. It will brush away. And now it, I, it's almost frustrating how there is a, a lack of acknowledgement where I would have liked the, the narrative to go from it's not a big deal to we have to take this seriously. But instead, it's literally flooded. Like there is there was a picture on Fox News that shows an America map of all the states that were having protests all at the same time on the same day. And I'm just like, oh, man, why is that the direction you took? Your news? <laughs> why did we go from it's a hoax to protest? I, I don't understand. And that, I think, is the most frustrating part of everything Fox News does, yo. It, I, I've had enough of it, man. It's exhausting. It's so exhausting. I'll, my grand, my, I, I, he's my grandpa, I guess. My grandma's husband, you know, he's not related to me, but through marriage. He'll watch yeah. Fox News. I'll sit on the couch next to him and I'll tell him, hey, John, that's a lie. And he'll look at me and be like, that's, that's not a lie. And I'll say, no, no, no. Like, let me show it to you in my phone. Like, yeah. like why would I believe that? I believe who's telling me. And I'm like, I'm showing you information, like no, and it's, we'll go back and forth on this, this like because he likes Fox News, and I'm just like, I guess if you are allegiant to who's speaking to you, they're they're smarter than me, I guess. Like I would I would probably think if I didn't know better, Tucker Carlson's probably more qualified to talk on something than I am. Who am I? I'm just yeah. a guy with a, no, with no, an he's iPhone. not. <clears throat> But yeah, at the same point, no, he's not. Cause yeah. He's lying. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, literally. Yeah, no, I, though, so. yeah I, I think, um, I mean, a lot of takes here, but, but I want to, <laughs> I want to maybe talk about there's obviously, I mean, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to inject the race component. Mm -hmm. I, I really started to get triggered when I saw this guy, I think his name's Stephen Moore. He's an economist and he's a part of, Trump's reopen America commission, which mind you, it would have been amazing if Donald J. Trump would have started his pandemic response team with the same amount of vigor as he has this reopen America team. That would have been amazing, bro. But, exactly. but thank exactly. you for being so proactive about when it's going to be okay enough to put people's lives at risk. We appreciate yeah. that. Uh, forget about preventing all of this and, and maybe, bracing for the impact a bit better so that all these lives wouldn't have been lost. But but this guy, Stephen Moore, I believe is his name, literally said that these protesters are modern day examples of Rosa Parks, bro. <laughs> modern day examples of Rosa Parks. Bro, I I literally, this laptop that, we're, that I'm doing this on right now, I literally almost tossed this joint into the middle of the street, bro. Rosa Parks, bro. I, dude, I just, I just do not understand the uh, desire in mostly white America, particularly conservative America, 
Thank you. To create this, yeah, I had to say mostly caveat <laughs> <laughs> to create this narrative of oppression, bro. It's like they're they're hell bent on it. Like they have to to equalize themselves into this oppressive yeah. narrative, uh, and, and it's just like. And then the other, and I, I just have to be clear. And you know, from from my perspective, we're seeing all this information start to come out about how COVID nineteen disproportionately affects communities of color. And so what I see is a lot of mostly conservative whites going out in these protests and saying, well, look, you know, the odds appear to be in my favor. And so let's get back to this thing and, and let's let's get back to business as usual because, you know, I have health care. And if things do go left for me, I have an immediate access to get into the ER. I'm not going to have any issues getting coverage or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. So worst comes to worst. I'll take the chance, uh, all while putting all these folks in danger who, again, because mo the, the majority of frontline workers are people of color mm -hmm. because we, we tend to be more in those, you know, different jobs because, you know, racism, poverty, things that all existed before this. And so they'll have to interact with all these different people who will still be going yeah. to, you know, the store and now restaurants are going to reopen. And so now waiters and waitresses, and instead of doing you know, the takeout and, and drive-through type stuff. Now they have people in the space who've been reckless. And and the, and a lot of those people are going to die, bro. Let's just be real. Yeah. And, and, and I just don't, you know, and this all goes back to um, at the top, your boy Trump yeah. is just inflaming this, liberate Michigan, liberate Wisconsin, <clears throat> and tweeting his way through uh, what should be uh, him being a calming influence, a, a source of, of rational thought, uh, a source of calm. He just inflaming the whole situation. And so I think this gets way, way worse before it gets better. For sure. Yeah, and it's funny because people hated on Nancy Pelosi for requiring um, diversity in hiring in her last uh, bill. And people were like, that doesn't make any sense. And now we're seeing it disproportionately harm the black community. And it's like, yeah, yeah because they can't get out of these frontline jobs. And we're not also allowing them into better jobs because we're not requiring diversity. And it's like, hey, she was actually making sense. Go figure. Yeah. I, I will add, I it's been incredible to see how this has affected the community I work with. Um, you know, nine to five every day, which are refugees, asylees, and special immigrant visa recipients. And to see the amount of strain our social services have been under because we haven't addressed the systemic issues that we should have addressed years ago, it, it's nuts. I mean, I have clients just making mad dashes to me for help with food stamps, temporary cash assistance, with, with medical insurance, and everything is backed up. Three hour long holds and it's just insane to see how people can't get these basic services in a timely fashion. And it's yeah. also amazing to see how individuals out there protesting right now have the privilege to protest during a pandemic. Just like what Mike was saying, they don't have to worry about that. A lot of us, a lot of people that are vulnerable are in survival mode right now. We don't have the capacity, we don't have the mental capacity to think about going outside with a group of people who are coughing on each other and holding up a sign. 
I, I, I agree with you, Jordan. I think it is, it is extreme privilege. I mean, in order to walk around, you know, the capital of your city or state with, you know, semi, semi-automatic weapons is a profound amount of privilege. Like you have to have privilege to be able to walk around and not be shot while you're carrying these, these heavy, you know, exactly. weapons. Now I do want to kind of address something that my good friend SL Kendra uh, Stanton Lee has to say, she asked this question about, I saw it, you, you, you had it on the screen for a little bit there. She asked the question, how will Trump use COVID-19 to frame himself as a wartime president? Yeah, I think, I mean, he's going to, he already has, right? Like he's already yeah. tried to, but the, the interesting thing is that his response, I mean, his, his base is shored up by the fact that the, the singular source of media and news and information consumption is, Fox News for them. For the people who are going to vote for Trump, they're watching right, Fox, Fox News. News and they're reading the Drudge Report and listening to Rush Limbaugh for their for their news. And those sources will call him a wartime president. They'll act as though oh, yeah. his response was appropriate. Yeah. They'll underreport the deaths. They'll mm-hmm. constantly downplay deaths. I was watching John Oliver talk about this. And, and honestly, that's exactly how he's going to benefit from this. But if we look at the numbers, his lack of response on the front end and his reckless response here on the mid to back end will inevitably inevitably lead to more deaths, which is all the more reason why he should not be reelected, even though some people will use this as the very reason why he should be reelected. And that's crazy. That speaks to the incredible amount of polarization that we're experiencing in the electorate right now. I think we're polarized beyond repair sometimes. And in yeah. times like these, like when people are going out to protest a quarantine that's for their best, like for their good, mm-hmm. it tells me, yeah, we're, we're polarized beyond repair in some ways. I have a I have a question to, to bounce back of what Garrison was saying here. Now, this is a hypothetical scenario. What What does the Republican Party look like if Trump does not get reelected, because Fox News has 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 crowned him as king, they have followed his rhetoric and his lies from the start. You've had a lot of to, to not to sound too mythic, but like have sold their soul to Trump as politicians and leaders. Yeah, and I'm wondering, you put so much energy into this demagogue. What happens if he doesn't win? What what does the party look like? How 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 do they hold credibility uh, once this president is gone? Whether it is in November or whether it is in four years, how how do they come back from that? I, I think I think that the the party uh, they they definitely they go into it a bit a bit of a wilderness for a bit, you know. because yeah. I think that there are a it lot. It depends of people, though which time. Well. Because well, I, this November and next November are different, or next election. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If it happens, I think if it happens this time, um, there are a lot of current politicians that are going to have to pivot away from their Trumpism, and that's going to be very hard for them. And, yeah. and it's going to be very easy to point out those disparities and, and those inequities in their thought. And, and a lot of the just like you know, Trump was able to ride the wave of some good Obama policies in his first couple of years. We're gonna get hit in the first couple of years of an of the next term, whether that's his or or the next president's 
hopefully the next presidents, um, <laughs> we're going to be able to really see with clearer eyes all the damage that he has done. Um, yeah. I think this whole fiasco, again, to, to Garrison's point around why he, he just cannot be reelected, this is all now colored by this interesting drop, uh, backdrop that dropped today. The Republican-controlled Senate Intelligence Committee finally basically agreed with rational thought that Russia helped elect Donald Trump. They announced it today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Um, and so it's just like, all right, man. So just another hit at this dude's, you know, illegitimacy. He's operating in, a, in an illegitimate manner. Um, the, the world is starting to crumble around him. But, but see, that, that announcement also scared me, be, you know, because now I think he's really going to be hell bent on we need to open things back up. We need to bounce the economy back. We need to yeah. do this and that in order to get things ready. Uh, he's mobilized the DOJ. Um, <clears throat> William Barr announced today that if stay-at-home orders by states go too far, the Department of Justice is going to support litigation against the states to reopen those states. I mean, it's just the, the levels of, you know, just deplorable, you know, inhumane, <laughs> Just all the different adjectives you can use. I mean, it's just off the charts now. So I, I think that they're going to be reeling for a while in in the wake of this. Uh, hopefully, the wake yeah. starts very soon. No, that's fair. I think I think it really depends, though, because if Trump wins in November, he's going to set himself up to keep Trump family members running. I mean, we we've been looking for the first woman president. Don't be shocked. If Melania Trump runs for president, uh, and oh, becomes God. this, Logan. I mean, oh, I've I've heard it. Trump Jr. Melania, I mean, Melania, or Ivanka, maybe I, Ivanka. Ivanka, I'm sorry, Ivanka. Yeah, okay, yeah okay, not, okay. not Melania. Ivanka, that's who's, much better, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, who's setting herself up for like this this like grand? So like, but the thing is that the Republicans have to do. In, and we're kind of seeing it with Democrats right now, where Biden has kind of pivoted to say, I want to be a little more progressive in my policies. Any Republican that runs again in the midterms or in four years is going to have to say, well, what about those 45 million people that really resonate with Trump policies and Trump ideas and Trump agendas? And they're going to say, how do we cater to the really racist um, and prejudiced groups in America? And so it's going to be interesting to see how a guy like that wants to be president so bad like Ted Cruz is going to have to find his way navigating through a party that doesn't like Trump and does like Trump. Uh, it mm. could be really, really interesting to watch. Mm. But. They're, they're, I think they're going to do this thing where they talk, I mean, they're already doing it, where they talk about this disenfranchised, you know, the the people in Appalachia, Appalachia and like the disenfranchised middle America and how this was a response to, you know, Trump was, was essentially their way of saying like, we're crying out for more and for help and, and forget help. the system. That's what they're going to do. And they're going to therefore moralize Trump, not wow. so much in what he did and who he is and his failures, but in what brought him about. And yeah. that way they'll be able to essentially echo his message without necessarily putting those people out of the party without saying you don't have a home here by by like forget trump we're against trump they'll essentially humanize those individuals who voted for him uh, moralize those individuals invite them to follow them along and they'll continue to do 
continue to enact disenfranchising policy and procedure. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we could probably dive yeah. even deeper on this. You know, we could do a whole show on it, but we just don't want to be depressed this entire episode. <laughs> no, it's true. It's, it's but, necessary to, but we had to talk about it, obviously. I do think, though, it's easier for the Republicans to rebound because all they have to do is hate the Democrats. Like they, they're not moving the country forward. They're trying to preserve it back another direction. So it's a little easier to, to get behind that than it is to like mobilize in a group that's lost on which direction to go because they're just basically following along. But that was my last thought. But anyway, should I just transition in or? Yeah, why don't you move us to our next topic? It might get a little cool. Shout out to Donnell. Oh yeah! Shout out to Donnell, live from New York. Yes, sir. Shout real quick. Big shout out to Donnell. He got us on this new platform. He's been in my DMs, holding your boy down. He might as well be a co-producer of the pod at this point. Holla yeah. at your boy, bro. We appreciate you, man. Shout out. So uh, yeah, the the thing that brought us all together for a little bit. I know, I know the hardest part about this, like on a really selfish level. Um, about COVID-19, not like the missing work and like all those other things, but like when it comes to entertainment, the hardest part for me has definitely been losing sports. Sports, yeah. uh, I remember, I didn't know how real this was until that night that the Oakley C Thunder canceled that game against the Jazz, and I was like, oh, this is this is serious. This is serious. And so yeah. to not have sports for what, over a month now, I've been like, basketball is like, NBA playoffs were supposed to start on Saturday, and I'm just like, I don't know mm -hmm. what to do. But then Sunday came, and everyone was excited because The Last Dance came on, which was the now about to be 10 part series documentary film on Michael Jordan, uh, regarded by many or some to be the greatest basketball player of all time. And really interesting because he played in an era that was before social media, was before the internet, and we didn't really get to know who he was and what kind of jerk he really was off the court. We just saw the greatness that he was on the court. And uh, I think it was pretty interesting. And, and, and a few takeaways I found from that was that A, it was, it, was, it was different than a normal sporting event, but it had the same passionate group of people. You. Typically, yeah. if sports are going on your TV, you could follow it on your phone and you're like in a restaurant. You're like, I oh, want to score. Check the box score. Oh, dang. LeBron's lighting it up. You know, whoever's lighting it up, that's pretty dope. But on this, you had to follow along. So it was sports fans watching something that had a stream, a flow. It had content. Um, it went down as the, the most watched ESPN original dot, um, uh, programming they've ever seen. Trivia question, does anyone know what the second most watched ESPN original content of all time mm -hmm. was before this? Anybody OJ. know? OJ. No, it was the um, Nobody Knows Bo. Um, oh, okay. The, the, oh. Bo Jackson, the Bo Jackson documentary. Really? Yeah. You don't oh, know. Shout out to Bo Jackson, though. Shout out to Bo Jackson, though. Bo Jackson, shout out. Shout out. My my only takeaway before I pass it off was that it it's, it really harped on the fact that Michael Jordan needed Scottie Pippen to win all those titles. So you know, like uh, what? what are you takeaway, bro. Needed Scottie Pippen. Oh, oh, boy. Couldn't even couldn't even argue for him to get. Couldn't even argue for him to get more money. Like, come on, like, keep y'all goat, whatever. I will say this. I will say this. 
that what what we and I think Logan, you kind of touched on this. What we saw with MJ in the '90s, the the ability to kind of avoid the the instant social media kind of criticism. In some ways, it kind of reminded me of like what Obama was able to do in like 08, where like social media wasn't as rampant and hit, where people were constantly talking mm. about this one individual 24 seven. And I think when when you see this documentary and you and you see how huge he was, um, in some ways, it's kind of hard to criticize an individual negatively when there is no platform or outlet like a Twitter or a Facebook. But then you look at this generation and you look at like, you know, not to place any of these individuals on the same level, but like LeBron or Melo or or KD or even Steph Curry, the amount of discussion that happens about this these individuals as just basketball players uh, constantly, nonstop, it just didn't happen with MJ, which it, it helped me realize that when we immortalized him as the GOAT, so so to speak, it's really about the story that he kind of provided as a player. Like when they showed that game two against the Celtics, you put that into context, he, he goes, he plays golf with the dude, and then the next day he drops 63. Wild. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. to watch that live, to, to, to have to sit there and watch it. You can't miss it because like there, there's no, there's no on demand. You can't, you can't like, yeah. you know, you can probably record it maybe, but to watch that live, nah, not even. I think that story is something that uh, really helped MJ's legacy because we can look at stats all day long, but the story that I think he was able to tell in so many different scenarios is probably why they've kind of given him that, that title. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt that no. we wouldn't like him as much now as it they did then, just because he wasn't he wasn't as nice as some of the no. superstars are, and we love criticism. He's never been why. nice, man. Bump that yeah. dude, bro. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my Michael Jordan hate is well documented, so I'm not. Knicks fan triggered. Hey, bro. He out here, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, is, nice is so overrated. I, I just don't understand why we even care about niceness, especially in a competitive sport. This is why I absolutely love my dog. This is why I love the Mamba. Like Kobe Bryant was not nice. And why? Why do we have to be nice when we're oh, in competition man. with each other? This these, is so these new Kobe fans, bro. You only know the person for like. That's where Josh Smith Here's my thing. Here's my thing. One thing about the documentary that I love. First of all, I didn't even understand how people are saying he was like mean or a jerk. I did not see any of that in these first two episodes at all. It just seemed like he was competitive. So people came away from like, oh, he's such a jerk. And I'm like, I don't see that. But what I did think was interesting was that like watching Kobe over the years, Kobe cared so much about like pregame focus. It seemed as though Mm -hmm. Kobe would like block everything out like before game, after game, while he's practicing, it would just be like no fun in games whatsoever. But it seemed as though MJ was very jovial. He joked a lot in the locker room. Mm. Like I was super surprised to see that. Mm. I expected more like yeah. like how Kobe was. Yeah. yeah. I think we gotta keep watching. You know, what I will say is watching all right, so a lot watching episodes one and two. You know, I think there's a because I want to transition a little bit before we move to the next topic. 
into what this doc may do or how it may inform the GOAT conversation, particularly mm. for mm. you know younger basketball fans. Because I, I feel like we're, we're kind of all, or I guess mostly are kind of in like that in-between phase where we caught some of Jordan, but then we also kind of grew up yeah. on the current era kind of a thing. And, and yeah. so for me, I probably the second three-peat, I remember that all vividly. I was mm -hmm. pretty small for the first three-peat. But, yeah. you know, watching – Yo, watching this dude MJ cook, especially in that Celtic series, like I, like I, I actually, I, I bumped into my dad the next day. He, you know, my pops, he was like, "Man, he, he's the goat, man." Like you see, you see them highlights, man. You see them highlights, man. Man, that, man, it was great. So I was like, "Yo, pops, I got, I had to give it up." Like, yo, yeah, because you know, I, I know, I know, Logan, LeBron's your boy. I love LeBron too. Um. But dude, it, it was just like it was different, bro. Like MJ, I, I know, like in current NBA, they said the worst you know shot in the game is like the mid range jump shot, and there's metrics all that and analytics, yeah. and I understand it. Um, but this dude MJ was just automatic from the automatic, bro. It was yeah, literally like a layup, bro. Oh my goodness. He he would I'm say to that man. like it's only a bad shot if you miss it like that's how he would say and he's like I'm not gonna miss it so it's just a different conversation as to where now yeah. they're like well if you miss this many it's still okay and 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 MJ Kobe I think guys like that are like why would I shoot shots I'm gonna miss that doesn't that doesn't make yeah. sense um, so it's just a different conversation for sure uh, I do thought I did think it was interesting to to speak to Garrison for a second there. You said no one thought he was a jerk. Even MJ had said uh, this last week or or before this came out. He said, "I'm only concerned about the documentary of people not liking me as much as they do right now." So I think there's a concern because he he had just kind of been an ultra competitor, um, and maybe the ultra competitor came out where he was. Kind of next level because I think there's something about competitive sports that we don't realize that maybe uh, a lot of NBA players do, but not a few. A few are above it and they're too competitive, not too in a bad way, but like more competitive. But like I think a lot of guys are like, yeah, like we're competitive, but this is also our job that we do for a long amount of time. So like mm -hmm. getting screamed at on a Tuesday in January <laughs> may not be everyone's agenda um, to play a sport, even though it is competitive. Like, like I think sometimes there's that line where they're like, Yo, come on! Can we relax? Like we're about to play this trash team tomorrow. Like we're we we we're we're a sixty-seven percent win rate right now. Like we're doing good. Like yeah, I think there's a little nuance to that that we don't get. And I think Kobe was kind of like that. But then other guys were maybe as competitive, but maybe just a little bit nicer about how they played in the regular season, which might have been why they don't lose win as much in the finals. Even LeBron, maybe, maybe I don't know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think more will probably come out as as the doc goes on. Yeah, uh, the one the one little nugget, and maybe we'll tease this. We'll probably talk. I mean, this is going to be dropping more, so we're going to at least five talk more. About of these. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're definitely going to talk about this next week. But I want to tease maybe the the MJ LeBron component a little bit because I was clicking around Basketball Reference just for fun. And I think it's interesting if you look at the first seven years of both of their careers, meaning MJ and LeBron, if you can't, I mean, other than some key statistical categories, of course, you could probably make the argument even that LeBron had more team success because within that first seven, LeBron went to the finals, that yeah. kind of thing. He was consistently going further in the playoffs, that sort of thing. MJ, definitely the individual 
ridiculous uh, performances. But oh yeah, those first seven years up until ninety ninety one, he gets you know when the, you know they get Pippen <laughs> and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then from then on, it's not really close. When when you start to, I mean, maybe a little bit. We'll see. I mean, LeBron's book hasn't been finished yet. But when you look at you know the next six years that he played, of course he had the two year hiatus, the chip every year, Finals MVP every oh, year. One year, but you know, yeah. uh, well, the, well, there's the one year where he came back halfway through the year. Yeah. I, I kind of yeah. don't count that, but he, well, when he lost other, the Magic in the playoffs, I mean it's kind of a, right. it's kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Most of the year, bro. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he was playing baseball, but yeah. So from I mean, so up it's until then, I would actually decision. I would edge LeBron, and then from then on, it kind of gets a little dicey. But we'll see where LeBron ends up. I mean, I think if LeBron True. finishes with three rings from three different teams, that's pretty compelling. You know, to kind of. You, you add in the Cleveland component of that, I mean, which was just like the loser town. I mean, you could make a good argument, but I, I think I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, because it's never been a conversation about, like, who's better. It's always been about who's greater. Like, yeah. like the you can argue either one who's better at basketball, but it's who's had the greater career. Like, that's how it's going to it's going to have to play down. But for sure. Yeah. Cool. Okay, cool. So we'll I think we'll transition to our next topic. Adrian, you want to flow yeah. us into that? <laughs> so this, this is the one I'm, I'm looking forward to. Um, it's an article that we had kind of been discussing in our group chat a bit from oh boy. today.org. Oh boy. And, uh, the yes, title sir. is, Is Probation About to Close? Now, uh, the, the article is not super lengthy, but there is one piece that I did want to just kind of read, to just kind of get some context to the conversation. And I believe this quote is from GC. So I just want to read a, a snippet of that and then read the, the reaction of the author of the article. So this part says, uh, though God's people will be surrounded by enemies who are bent upon their destruction, yet the anguish which they suffer is not a dread of persecution for truth's sake. And then he jumps down and then he says something I think is very interesting. Very, 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 very interesting. If they could have the assurance of pardon, they would not shrink from torture or death, but should they prove unworthy and lose their lives because of their own defects of character, then God's holy name would be reproached. Then the author goes on, and I never, I, I have to admit to you guys, Jordan and I have kind of expressed this. We grew up in a very conservative setting where prophecy was pushed all the time, and every traumatic experience prophecy was something that was immediately pushed but the author makes a great point here where they say please understand what is being said here after the close of probation life continues with everyone the righteous Mm -hmm. and the lost suffering like they have never suffered since homo sapiens inhabited the globe yet the suffering of the wicked doesn't allow them a chance to repent. The righteous have already secured salvation, but they don't know it yet. So they live in horrible agony. And then he asked the question, to what purpose is all of this suffering? Where if I am, uh, if I am wicked, I have no more chances of, of, of repentance. So why exactly 
what I need to continue in this suffrage. And if I am righteous, if, if I if I'm good, uh, why do I need to continue? I've done my part. And and he he goes on to to kind of mention some other conversations he's had with peers, and in a very uh, somber way, like as someone who was kind of trying to wrestle with this prophecy, you kind of see how like the argument crumbled relatively quickly in those specific conversations. Um, like one person, he says, uh, someone else tossed out the notion that beings from other worlds are watching our world like a series of survivors and they need <laughs> to see us suffering needlessly to understand that Satan was unfair in his accusations and God was right. So uh, I, I got to hear you guys' thoughts on this um, because it, it really... It, it touches that nerve, y'all, of like, once this seal is closed, then that's it. And and the suffering that happens afterwards, what does that suffering mean? And so it, it, it's interesting, man. I, I want to hear what you guys got to say about this for sure. I have thoughts. I don't know if you guys, who wants to kick this one off? But, but I mean, I, I think the, the basic tension is right, is that like, Ellen White essentially, like the Seventh-day Adventist Church has essentially based the majority of our understanding of what happens at the close of probation, we've based it on what Ellen White says. A lot of what we believe cannot be explicitly extracted from scripture the way it's preached, all right? And that's mm -hmm. a big tension, all right? Now, what I'm not saying is that probation closing and those kinds of things, the idea, the concept isn't in the Bible, but the way we teach it and the way we preach it is not as clearly articulated by scripture. And I think the real tension is like, Ellen White said it, for some people, like you said, Adrian, like Ellen White said it, that settles it for me. I believe it, that exactly. settles it for me. Like that's like the very Adventist yeah. way of like believing. And honestly, that's very much like a cult. I'll start there. The second thing I'll say is that like, if you, for some reason or another, <clears throat> challenge what Ellen White has said, people will come for your throat. Like they're like, get out of the church. Mm -hmm. Why are you an Adventist pastor? Why do you even, why are you in the church? Like either she's 100% correct or 0% <laughs> correct. And like, those are the, that's the dichotomy that they create. And it's really, 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 it's a lot of tension. And it's really hard for us to, to think critically, to critically engage Ellen White's writing yeah. if we aren't able to, at the very least, admit she's a human being, not scripture, and therefore it is, it is in, it's, it's, really, um, it's really improper for us to expect for her to be infallible or inerrant. And I think that's, that's the tension that we're, that we're existing in. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think you said that well, Garrison, so I don't want to repeat, but but I'll just want to I just want to hammer home, you know, I think as I've reflected on the article, because, you know, I, I braved the wilderness and shared it on my page and I've had a, a couple conversations both on the page and, you know, in the in the DMs about it. And I think what what, what was interesting is may, maybe some of this. You know, I, I talked about it's, you know, it's maybe like the chicken or the egg kind of conundrum. You know, he yeah. could be, I think, responding in some ways to the way that the church has used Ellen White um, as opposed <clears throat> to 
how she would have intended her writings to be used. Yeah. Um, and, and there's obviously, you know, sometimes these compilations and the stuff that the church has put out and, the, and kind of extrapolating almost proof texting, you know, her writings like we do sometimes with scriptures. Um, can obviously put it in in a, in a negative light, and so um, I think to the overall point, we we absolutely should be able to critique Ellen White or any other writer. I mean, we critique scripture, you know what I mean. Yeah. And so it's like, how could we believe that everything that she wrote was infallible and that sort of a thing? And and I think the problem is there's so many people who've been beat over the head with it for years that you're kind of, you have this sort of built in. I mean, I feel like I just got over like within the past five years or so, maybe five, 10 years, the propensity to want to have to defend everything that Ellen White said. Like, it's like ingrained in me, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not even something that my dad taught me necessarily, but Adventist culture teaches you that. And you can get really um, in your feelings about it. Or you, you, you can feel really insecure sometimes when people try to bash it and that kind of thing. And so I just think that we have to just use much more intellectual humility um, when when people are processing these things um, and not assume that they just have to, you know, just like that, understand it or take it the same way we do, uh, because it's really not worth it at the end of the day to to have these arguments over, you know, things that are not, we have enough scriptural arguments, let alone to have non-scriptural ones. Now we can have discussions and debates about the implications of what they mean, but don't tell me that it has to just be accepted wholesale. Like this all or nothing thing is really dangerous in my view. I think in some ways it might be rooted in uh, some of the conversations that I remember having with uh, some of my family, which is the idea of if she is a prophet, uh, then uh, the prophecy in which she gives us, it, it has to be truthful. And, and you know, they'll say, these are the three criteria that you have to meet in order to be a prophet. And I think the tension that we sometimes see is uh, if, if she is wrong on this, then what else could she possibly be incorrect on? And I think if we were to go down that route, I don't know if people are comfortable enough Careful. in kind of accept, accepting mm -hmm. that reality because I, it opens up uh, Pandora's box that I don't think we've ever even thought to consider. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. And actually, like for me, the I agree with your points. Um, and we could probably go on all day about Ellen White's uh, truth or untruth. But I, I actually resonated with him talking about um, shout out to Lauren Seibold, the, the man that wrote the article yeah. we're, we're referencing. Um, Time on Earth is short. Probation is closing soon. This Ted Wilson quote that was put on a meme. Preparation to see God face to face by repentance and forsaking of sin needs to be done now. And so it's actually so funny within Adventism specifically that we love these things. We love these quotes because we're really good at not being very good. Uh, and, and what I, what, we, we love the idea of saying that we're ready for Jesus to come because yeah. we like sat around and got ready, but we forget that Jesus said, if you didn't clothe and feed and help, you're not going to be on, a on. person I knew anyways. And so I told, it's funny cause I called one of my best friends on Sunday night and we were kind of 
uh, I'll leave his name out because we were kind of going back and forth about why ministry isn't like for us. And I told him, I said, the reason I don't like ministry is because I don't really like telling people um, whether or not they're going to go to heaven or hell. Like, and that seems to be a huge conversation all the time is, are you ready for heaven? You might be going to hell. And this conversation back and forth about where you're going to end up in eternity. When I see in my community needs of people mm. that aren't worried about eternity, they're worried about staying alive tomorrow. And they're exactly. worried about getting help tomorrow. And, and they're worried about food today and, and clothing today and shelter today. And I'm saying like, close of probation. Like, am I ready? Like, uh, I'm just trying to help folks. Like, and as Adventists, since we don't help people regularly, we're mm. not very good at thinking about what we actually need to do to be ready. So we'd rather have a conversation about when Jesus is going to come mm -hmm. than actually about, and then we're going to argue about if Ellen White was true or not. When Ellen White's like, yeah. uh, you missed the part about me telling you to be better people. Um, and you're going to fall in line properly as it is. Uh, yeah. But yeah, shout I, out to shout out to the comments. I, I I don't have anything other than to say. Shout out to comments: Scott Cable, Don <laughs> L, Gabe Morales. Facts. Like y'all y'all are giving me life with these with these guys. Hashtag we not ready. We not ready. <laughs> we not ready. <laughs> now go ahead, Joe. My bad. My bad. My yeah, bad. no, you're good. You're good. So I mean, I gotta say, I'm not as familiar with LNG White's writings as you guys are, but I think the one thing I can or I'll at least try to point out is that I feel like the reason why we really struggle to hold Ellen G. White, maybe I don't know if accountable is the word, or, or at least to criticize her in a very fair way, is that I think her being the prophet in our denomination makes us feel special. Ellen G. White makes us mm. feel special. And when she is in any way threatened, that threatens our feeling of being set aside, of being the chosen people, of, of being the one religion that that got it right. And I feel like that's maybe where some of people's fears are coming from when they see LNG White being questioned, where I looked in the comment section of some of you that, that shared the article, and I think it was... Um, it was Jamie Calazar where I first saw Spicy. him engage it and and people commented on 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 uh, what he posted, which is which, which was just sharing the article itself to be clear. But um, it's wild how people really got upset. I don't know if salty is the word, but I'll use salty. People were really salty because <laughs> LNG White to them is right on the same level as the Bible. And I can understand why that's the case for many people, because that's what we were taught. That's what we grew up in. So it's really hard to divorce ourselves from Ellen G. White, even yeah. if we're divorcing ourselves from her for a moment just to criticize her uh, fairly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, uh, Jordan. I mean, everybody's making great points, but like kind of building on the point that Jordan is making there about like our ability to fairly critique or engage Ellen White, like, First of all, we're a, we're supposed to be a denomination, a movement that has existed for 154, 56, whatever it is, years, right? Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. it's important for us to ask the question, how can you exist for 150 plus years and not change and still be <laughs> a movement? Like, that's gonna be really hard for us to really like question uh, that. Come on, come on. You're so a puddle. Let's say, <laughs> let, let's say like we've changed a few times and, and let's say within the last 100 years, we haven't grown and changed in our beliefs. Right. Like, yeah. do we really believe what the Bible says in Proverbs that the path of the just is as a shining light that gets brighter and brighter until the perfect day, which okay, is the second preacher. coming. 
Mm. which means that we're supposed to be growing yeah. in our revelation and our understanding of God. The work of the Holy Spirit is not relegated to just Ellen White, but the spirit of prophecy should still mm -hmm. be at work today. Those things are important. The mm. second thing I want to say is this. I don't understand. I saw that post, Jordan, by Jamie Callisar. Shout out to the homie Jamie Callisar. Facts. And, yeah. and on the on the post, he really he really challenged the way in which Ellen White has said blatantly racist things in her writings. Yeah. And, and the yeah. interesting thing that I that I noticed on the post, which I'm a person with great appreciation for Ellen White, I feel like that needs to be said. But what I noticed on the post is that people had all kinds of grace and understanding for the fact that Ellen White was a product of the time that she was living in when it comes to their when it comes to racial issues but they do not possess the ability to have that same approach when it comes to her understanding about biblical issues like what if Ellen White was a product of her time when it comes to biblical interpretation as well i think that's Mercy. an important thing for us to also consider because if she can look at other human beings black people and say that we're we're amalgamations or other people of color are amalgamations and we can say wait 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 she was a product of her time we should also be able to look at the way in which she interpreted or commented on scripture and say wait 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 she was a product of her time and we've grown since then here's the last thing i'm going to say and then i'm going to i'm going to shut up all right the last <laughs> cook, thing, cook, cook, the last thing i'm going to say Go you're good bro you're good you're good in in Lauren, I, I don't know Lauren well. I've seen and kind of interacted with him online. I like his piece. The the one critique that that I would probably kind of push back on, he talks about how in Ellen White's writing, she she describes how after you know probation is closed, both righteous people and unrighteous people will both be thrown into this whirlwind of like, oh my goodness, am I good with God? And I understand for him, he kind of says that that's that con that conception is is one of a monstrous God. I believe he, he says something to that effect yeah. that no God of love would would throw their people into this kind of like whirlwind of like, oh, my goodness, am I good with God? And I understand how one could come to that conclusion. But the thing that I think needs to balance that is a holistic understanding of the writings of, of Paul, particularly. Because in Paul's writings, he talks about how we're justified and, and set free, made righteous mm -hmm. by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But he also invites us into Christ's sufferings. He says in, in Philippians 3, particularly, like, all I want to know is Christ and the resurrection of his, like, the power and the resurrection, as well as his sufferings. And, and that relational dissonance of, like, oh, my goodness, probation is closed. I'm in the time of trouble, and I don't know if I'm saved. I would describe that as relational dissonance with God. And that relational dissonance existed on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he is thrown, that's his time of trouble. He's thrown into this whirlwind of like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? Like he's yeah. like in this moment of like crazy relational <laughs> dissonance. <laughs> I gotta drop the gift. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's important for us to understand that we may experience some level, certainly not to the level of total disconnection that Jesus felt from the Godhead, mm -hmm. but we may experience some of that same relational dissonance. And I don't think it is incongruent with a God of love for us to feel that in this time of trouble. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the one kind of like pushback I give to the article I think that he is he's really on point with critiquing the way in which we use Ellen White 
But I do think that that concept, that idea is is broad. And I think it, sure. it it's narr- It's in the narrative. I think it's in there. And and I think, I mean, even Jacob, I think, you know, we, Nick, uh-huh. your, your dad mentioned this. In Jacob's time of trouble, he experienced relational dissonance with his brother, who he thought was going to kill him. Yeah. But the reality is that his brother had already forgiven him, and therefore yeah. there yeah. was no need, but it did not stop the psychological process Correct. of there being some dissonance about where am I, where do we stand? And I just yeah. think it's important for us to keep that narrative in balance. Yeah. It is funny that I started this uh, episode talking about allegiance over information with Donald Trump. And now we have this same parallel in our church, allegiance Mm -hmm. over information. Uh, It can be dangerous. It's very Mm. dangerous to hold someone to an authority without information to support that authority. If your favorite church leader says something wrong or problematic, it's okay. As long as you admit that they were wrong or problematic and move forward and hopefully learn from that and not repeat it yourself. Uh, But unfortunately, the same people that believe in um, the allegiance over information for Ellen White are believing the allegiance over information. Eh, Never mind. I'm not not going to do that. Careful, Logan. Careful, bro. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, we uh, that was awesome. And again, that's a whole other episode in itself. But I think we've gotten some good content in on these topics. But mm-hmm. we, we, I got, I got to do one more thing before we get to PMI. We, we got, <laughs> we, we, we got to do this real quick. We got to. What we got to do? Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's go. (laughs) So many hits. (laughs) I gotta play. That's a jam. Oh my goodness. What a song. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't hear it. It's not coming through for me. So I'm a mute. I'm a mute. Yes, I'm me too. Okay. All right, I, I gotta do one more. Oh, we're about to get copyrighted. We're about to get copyrighted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is about to get taken down. Peace and desist. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, yeah, you was fronting at first. Uh, had to do 500K. that. 500K, yes, sir, man. Had to yeah, do man. that. And so, if you if you heard that, you heard more of Teddy Riley and Babyface than anyone did who turned in for part one of this. <laughs> I'm screaming. 500K, <laughs> yo. Oh my goodness! It finally went down last night. Um, and you know, I, I saw a really interesting comment that sort of sums it all up as to what happened. Um. Tarana Burke, shout out to her, the creator of the Me Too movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We won, yes, the culture won, but also 
Kenny Babyface yeah. Evans won. Let's just be real. <laughs> Babyface won. He he has the hits on deck. Uh, he was yeah. prepared the first time. You know, his, his speakers was working. Your boy Teddy Riley was looking crazy <laughs> out here in the yard. You feel me? He just wasn't, you know. And then this moment right here, and we'll, we'll do a call back to the MJ doc. When Babyface went from the Whitney and CC duet into yeah. the Whitney and Mariah duet, bro. It was kind of crazy. Oh, my goodness. It, it was kind of crazy. Literally, bro. It, it, it <laughs> shut it down, bro. It, it, it shut it down. <laughs> then there was a little shade, which I thought was cool. You know, Babyface said, was that a remix? Petty, yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know we were doing remixes, but it's cool. I don't do remixes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it definitely got competitive. You feel me? Um, but, you know, and they have a good, Revolt has a good breakdown. I'll drop this in the, in the comments. Uh, that has the whole playlist for you there if you have title, which I don't. So, but there, there's so many hits on here. Of course, they both they both wrote for Michael Jackson, which is crazy. Um, Boys to Men's in here. Um, Janet Jackson, TLC, Blackstreet, of course, with Teddy Riley, Guy, Tevin Campbell with the Can We Talk. That's that was my personal favorite. That goes crazy. Uh, so you know, it, it was pretty fun. But uh, yeah, there was so much hype going into the first one. It was like a whole week of, of hype and promos, and everybody was talking about it. And that joint was just a dub. Bro. It didn't go down. Dog. <laughs> it didn't go down at all. Viewers, bro. It was but it made for great Twitter content. People were so oh. happy that it was failing. It was hilarious. Yeah, very funny. Yeah, man. So, but yeah, definitely Babyface won. But it, it was a good. But it, but it had me thinking. I hope y'all been thinking about this too. Just for a couple minutes here before we close, what are some verses that you'd want to see? I mean, we've had a couple. We had the Swiss Beats Timbaland one on a previous episode. Logan, you mentioned the Lil John. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On in a T Pain. T Pain. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, what what's a matchup y'all want to see? Let me know. Ooh, I, I'm seeing the comments online about uh, uh, Kirk Franklin uh, versus Fred Hammond. Of course, we know Fred Hammond will body that dude. We're so, not going you know, to this again. <laughs> no, but you know what? We should have. No, no, no. We should have Kirk Franklin versus Ty Trebek. Now, that, that would be crazy. That, that would be, be crazy. Fire, now, Kirk yeah, win. But hey, better is one of the best listen, gospel songs Ty, of all time. I would give him a run, though. I would give he him would give him a run, run though. Yeah. For the first 15 would, minutes. Yeah. For the first 15 minutes. Yeah. It'd be close. <laughs> Yo, I would love to see Kirk Franklin versus DJ Khaled. Holy, holy <laughs> versus Simple. World collide, bro. The greatest crossover ever. Bro, oh, greatest ever. In the club and the church bro. at the same time. Greatest album um, between DJ and Kirk, bro. That'd be fire. <laughs> I, you know, I actually, I thought, I think it'd be interesting to see Kanye versus Drake. Ooh, that's a good one. Ooh. I think that'd be a good Kanye one. never gonna happen. I think, I think, I think Kanye probably wins too. But, but the thing with Definitely. Drake is, the thing with Drake is, really? he was like a cult classic before he really hit. Like he has a couple mixtapes. Yeah, he, he has some fire on them. Oh, sure. He's for got sure, hits sure, too, sure. and he has yeah. a, no, he he has has a bunch of hits, and he has a, he has a big, he has a big catalog for sure. You gotta respect him, bro. Yeah. You gotta but, but honestly, Kanye has the 
he's a producer. So like what we yeah. saw Babyface do with the transitions and like like Kanye is going to it's gonna go crazy. And then Drake's yeah. gonna have to break out like a diss track and like say something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, easy like, yeah. House. You know. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel you. Donnell said Kirk versus Teddy Riley. Can we get uh, uh, Carol Baskin versus oh my God. <laughs> Tiger King? Hey, hey, you know, we, we got to do Adventures versus Yo, right Jamie now. George versus. We do like, <laughs> like. Like DC versus Adrian Langdon. Ah, we get we yeah, get John, John Loma Kang versus Wintley Phipps. Uh, that's Wintley going to hit. That's going to hit. <laughs> oh, yeah, bro. That's going to hit. I'm in We're losing viewers. Quick. Quick. Jordan, slide us to PMI, bro, before we close. Yes, of course. Um, so as we do every week, a PMI stands for a piqued my interest. And that's just a fancy way of saying what piece of art. It could be book, music, film, television, anything that you've seen that's inspired you that you want to share with someone. Um, now is the time to share it. First, we're going to start with Mike, and then we'll just go on from there. Let's go with Garrison first. That's, that's... Oh yeah, let's go with Garrison first. Yeah, G, you can go first. No, I appreciate it, guys. You know, you know, I have to dip in just a little bit. But the, the thing that piqued my interest this week is a documentary that just came out on HBO called Atlanta. It's a mini series or a series. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's yes, uh, three, three three parts out currently. I haven't watched the third part, so I don't know if that's the end. I, I hope it's not. Um, but this, this show is amazing. Like as, as you, as you guys know, I'm Atlanta, Georgia, born and bred, cornbread fed. That's my heart. I love the city of Atlanta. I love the A and growing up, I was born in 1990, but early in the eighties in 1981, 1980, 1979, there were murders and abductions of young black boys. Mostly. I think there's a couple of girls, but mostly black boys between the ages of nine and 15, 16, they were getting getting taken and killed. And yep. it was this huge shock sent through the city. But it's also during the same time when Atlanta is becoming the Atlanta that we know, this booming city that's like black friendly and like we run that thing. So growing up in the early nineties, I heard a lot about the murders of these boys and the, you know, the, the kidnapping of these boys but I never really knew what to think of it. And in and, and watching the documentary, it puts so much in context, including, including this thing here, like growing up in Atlanta, hey. all, all of the kids had these, these identikid wow. cards wow. where like, you're supposed to keep this on you at all times, that's Lil G. And, and I had this <laughs> on me at all times, just in case I was taken, just in case I got lost. I could uh, run to someone and give them my my identikid card, and it would you know they take me where I needed to be, and so it puts so much of my my early childhood into perspective. It's powerfully made, and I highly recommend uh, checking it out, especially if you are from Atlanta or familiar with the city. Very good, very good. That's that's interesting. The identikid card. I actually had one of those when I lived in Cali around that same age. I have one, and I I did, I thought it was just a Cali thing. It's interesting yeah, dude. that they had them out there too. So, wow. yeah. 
That's pretty crazy. That's wild. So, Garrison, so I know you have to go, so we want to just let you be able to exit out um, as unawkwardly as possible. <laughs> no, I appreciate <laughs> it. It was good. This is the best episode so far, guys. Yeah, this is fun, bro. Yeah, you know, know. until next time. Peace. Yes, sir. Peace. See you, bro. All right, Adrian, you want to go uh, next for us? Sure, man. Well, you know, I got, I got to do it again. Uh, yesterday was the series finale of the miniseries Plot Against America. And, um, man, that that show, it, it has consumed my time, my my reading, my research. Um, the, the, the creator of the show, David Simon, um, he also does a podcast where he breaks down um, a lot of what makes the story so good. And one of the things that really stood out to me, and I remember talking to Jordan about it, where the the book and the, the show uh, has a term that is essentially America first, right? And when a lot of the critics saw what the content of the show is going to be about, you had a lot of right-wingers like Breitbart News come in and say, oh, this is not an ultimate reality show because you're pulling this phrase America first from, you know, the, the MAGA hatters and, and the, the nationalists right now. So it's like so spot on the nose, like it, it, it's left-wing propaganda. But what really blew my mind was when David Simon was saying, like, we did not create this term uh, in a response to Trump and the rhetoric he's used. This was real rhetoric that was being used. The phrase America first was an actual phrase being used during World War II that was uh, a, a phrase that targeted Jews and, and Japanese people. And so it really kind of showed that like, when we use certain language and terminology, we have no idea the history behind it. And we assume that like, oh, this is like left-wing propaganda. But the point he's making is like, nah, like y'all are using these, these xenophobic and nationalistic fascist terms and you have no idea. And it's like, we don't really read our history. And I think that is what's really stood out to me is the show really reveals the amount of things that are were so accurate in this alternate reality that um, just never gets talked about. And that that's really been really just over for me, so. Definitely. Thank you, Adrian. That is also again on HBO, so you can watch yeah. it there. Uh, Logan, you want to go next? True. Um, yeah, for sure. I think content has been tough for me this week. I'm going to be honest with you. My dad and I started a bathroom remodel last week. And so um, the art that I've experienced is uh, I laid uh, an entire shower. I tiled an entire shower. My dad was cutting. I was tiling. I, I'm going to try to post a pic of it. Um but that's like been – and so like there's one thing about content that I like is that it teaches you about something. But uh, it's actually funny. It's taken me 33 years, but my dad and I like have – we're really close. We talk all the time. But I think this was the first time that we worked in such a small space that we were forced to really get along with each other. Um, and, you know, if we were frustrated, you couldn't go nowhere. Because like other times we've done projects where I'll just like walk to the other building or whatever else it is. And I've actually loved it because we've actually not even realized it probably 
like together, but separately that we've really developed a really good way to communicate with one another, which is more respect, more love. Um, and so that's been fun, uh, tiling an entire subway tiled marble shower, which is kind of um, dope. And I actually did, picked out the design and like I've kind of like put my handprint on it so that. I did start some shows this week. I started watching Tiger King, which y'all have been recommending. Uh, it definitely looks like Carol Baskins killed her husband. So that's kind of interesting Perfect. to me. Um, and then, and then uh, kind of funny group chat dialogue, but I started this show called Black AF, which I thought was really interesting on um, Netflix. It's just funny. Um, Jordan described it and the title episode titles as unapologetically black. And so I, you know, I enjoyed kind of like some of those angles um, that they're kind of talking about with this show. Basically it's a show of a guy that's, you know, that's done well um, in film and he's uh, kind of just his, it's kind of in the maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, Jordan. It's kind of through the eyes of his daughter. It seems like. Um, yes, she's filming a documentary, and then that's right. the frame mm -hmm. of the show. Yeah. And so, just kind of interesting take on the kind of scripted reality shows that I've loved pretty much my whole since The Office hit. So, yeah, definitely check that out. Um, been a, it's been a good watch so far. All right, thank you, Logan. Uh, next, you want to go next? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of rereading this book. It's called Exception to the Rule, The Surprising Science of Character-Based Culture, Engagement, and Performance. Um, we read it as a leadership team here at Andrews. It was picked by Dr. Luxton, and it's uh, it, it's really good. And, you know, I'm rereading. They have, a, they have a chapter. There's these seven pillars. Uh, one of those pillars is courage. And so they're um, one of the things that they talk about in that chapter is that um, – courage is something that is learned just like cowardice. And so there's no such thing as a courageous DNA. Um, you know, the environment that we're in and the, the folks that are around us help to shape what that looks like and what that means. Um, and it really can in, impact how the culture you create for your team and, and that sort of a thing. And so um, if, you're, if you're involved in any sort of, you know, teamwork, team building, or even just personally, are wanting to to know some, some even scientific methods behind how to best operate within a team, uh, I, I highly recommend that book. Very good. And where can people buy this book? Amazon? Maybe? Yeah, you can or, get it on Amazon. I'll, I can probably drop a, a link or something in the show notes. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. And I'll just close out with uh, the thing that piqued my interest this week. Uh, so Brene Brown, a couple of uh, months, uh, maybe last month, a couple weeks ago, released her brand new podcast called Unlocking Us with Brene Brown. It's really good. And again, like I'm a huge Brene Brown fanboy. She talks about vulnerability mm -hmm. and belonging. And I think what's great about this is that she just brings on any and everyone. Alicia Keys was on the show. Um, so many other people were on the show too. David Kessler, uh, uh, Glendon Doyle. So really people from different corners of culture talking about emotions, talking about really, I would say, matters of the heart. And I think she really does a lot to bring value to those kinds of discussions and makes it more than just fluff. It's something that really helps us live our daily lives. So I definitely, definitely recommend that. I find it on Apple Podcasts. I'm not sure if it's on Spotify, but that's where I listen to it. Awesome. Jordan waiting for that uh, last dance, Brene Brown documentary. <laughs> <laughs> he can't wait. Very oh, true. Man. Very true. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting Jordan Smart hot takes on the Jordan doc next week. So, bro, you need to 
I need you to catch up on one and two, watch three and four, and we need a sure. we need a cogent response. You're gonna <laughs> kick us right. off on that one. <laughs> Definitely. We're there were some good mascot takes. A mascot oh, we showed up a few times. Yeah, we, we... <laughs> you are the mascot connoisseur, bro. So we're gonna <laughs> oh man. Well, guys, this has been fun. Thank you all for yeah. watching. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, like and share. And um, you know, I was gonna say subscribe, but this is not a YouTube channel. So you know, I've, I've been watching too much YouTube. You but, can subscribe uh, to my uh, Cash App. Yeah, definitely. And you can. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been getting some. I've been getting some requests in my DMs to to set Logan up. So I mean, hey, if you know, feel free to shoot your shot. Uh, exactly. If that, if that exactly. is you. Uh, you know, he he's out here ready to go on virtual date. Yeah. So just let me know. <laughs> let me know. Yeah, I, I do $10 starting fee and then like just $20. Oh, it's, it's, the ca- it's the cash app circle? Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Give me 25 we'll turn it in. Please, oh, please, Logan. Oh, man. All right, y'all. Have a good one. All right. See you, fam.